Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, a podcast about finding wonder in a secular age. My faith lies in humanity, not the supernatural. And if you believe that spirituality is fundamentally about cultivating the human spirit, then this podcast is for you. This week, I speak with Christopher Cotter. Chris is the co-founder of the Religious Studies Podcast. It's one of the premier resources on the social scientific study of religion. Though, ironically, as a research fellow at the University of Edinburgh School of Divinity, he studies the non-religious and is one among them. I highly recommend listening to the Religious Studies Podcast. They have over 300 episodes with new articles and recordings updated all the time. It's something that is geared towards those studying religion from an academic perspective, and they do interviews with professors from across the field. So if you're looking for sophisticated conversations about cutting-edge theoretical, methodological, empirical questions in the study of religion, then that's the place to go. But if you're not, then maybe our conversation might be a little bit more at your speed. Uh, Chris and I put aside those big theoretical uh, questions and stay a little bit more down to earth. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris Cotter. It's a fun one. Chris Cotter, welcome to Reenchantment. It's wonderful to be here, Danielle. Now, Chris, you and I met in one of the breakout rooms at the Open Div Summit uh, a few months back, which I helped to organize with Casey Rosengrin. And we we just were talking, I think, having a good time. And you mentioned something that caught my, caught my ear. It was the way in which was it, Captain Picard plays an important role in, in your in your life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I feel like that's a, a great, a great place to jump in. Cause I think that's, that leads into what we want to talk about today. So say a bit more about, about Captain Picard and, and who is it? Who is he for those who don't know? Okay. Well, I will, yeah, I will begin with Captain Picard <laughs> and me, and then we can go further later as to why I even mentioned that at all. But yeah, so Captain Picard is the the, the, the captain of the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D in the Paramount <laughs> series Star Trek The Next Generation, as I'm sure many of your listeners will know, which ran from, I think, 1987 till 1994 played by the inestimable Sir Patrick Stewart. Now, Star Trek The Next Generation is is a major part of my life and has been uh, throughout my entirely conscious life, I suppose. I guess it it would have started broadcasting the year after I was born, and it was my, my mother would watch Star Trek The Next Generation when she was doing her ironing on a Wednesday night when it was airing on... (laughs) It aired on BBC Two here in the UK. We always got everything a a few years after they'd been out out in the States, so this was a big deal. BBC Two got Star Trek The Next Generation, so it was back in the day when it was a weekly viewing thing. One episode And and honestly, I I miss that. I miss that so much. (laughs) And it was how we organized our our Wednesday nights. And initially it wasn't something I was interested in. And then it it became part of the the ritual. I'm sure we'll come back to that word later. Uh, It is something that has stuck with me throughout my life, I suppose, as a, you know, teenager and whatnot. 
being known to like Star Trek was not something I would have shouted about from the rooftops. <laughs> it wasn't something for the, the popular people, let's put it that way. But as I've grown into a, uh, an adult and more comfortable in my own skin and more happy just owning that, I mean, this is... This is my life. This is my thing. But I'm saying all of this because it, the, the, these episodes, there are, I suppose, about 130, 140 episodes or something. Mm. Seven seasons, at least 20. A season. Yeah, so that, let's say at least 140 episodes. Many of them I've seen possibly dozens of times now. I initially bought wow. the, the DVD box sets, and then now it's on Netflix. So it's a great safe space, uh, something that can you know always be put on. Or my, my parents were here last week for the, I was seeing them for the first time in 17 months since the start of the, the wow. pandemic. I would normally have seen them every two to three months. So that was quite a long time. And while they were over, we, we watched some Star Trek. Specifically, yes, like, yeah. you know, it, I'm already like picking up on on many of these themes of like, well, it's yeah. it started off like a, at a young age, a weekly ritual uh, time where you'd watch, and this would be a communal thing. You'd watch it with your family, obviously, and then this this becomes. I'm thinking back to my own childhood. Like there were certain shows and certain even video games that for me were a place one of, of safety and 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 two of wonder, and and also three of ethics of like, mm. this is how you be a good person. This is how you stand up to, to, to wrongdoing and, and do good action in the world. And Captain Picard in, in, in the series is an ex- exceptional example of, of how to do that. Exactly. So Picard, I mean, back when it all started, Patrick Stewart is famed for not even unpacking his, his bags when he started filming because he thought that people were going to reject him as the captain of the Enterprise after William Shatner. He was this uh, bold, older English captain of a sort of flagship American show, but, but quickly was, was proven wrong. And yeah, I mean... Even just not focusing on Picard, but but the the episodes deal with so many big questions and ideas in a way that sci-fi and fantasy can, and that sort of contemporary set programs maybe can't. That they can deal with issues of what it means to be human, or or terrorism, or androgyny, or euthanasia, and all sorts. Of the things that maybe people aren't, aren't so comfortable having conversations about in their day-to-day life, but you put it in a, a sci-fi universe and then suddenly people can watch it and talk about it and, and relate to it, even though it's perhaps more distanced. And yeah, Picard, he's the he's the, the diplomat. I mean, he's a, I suppose now I would look at myself, I'm an academic, um, I'm into the theatre and history and all these other things that Picard's into and music. But he, yeah, he just... I was. I read an article, and we'll get onto this, I'm sure, shortly by by Timothy Stacy, in the what well, was the journal that I co-edit, which is I came across it before it was published, and, and then I was like, oh, this is going to be great. So we'll mention that explicitly later. But he, he he was talking about how asking people about what they believe in is perhaps more. Uh, valuable than what they don't believe in so especially for interested in people who are not religious and stuff well what unites the non-religious well the fact that they don't subscribe to certain things that that, that doesn't really tell you very much of interest right doesn't tell you what animates the life and so on and he mentioned the figure of gandalf now 
I also love Lord of the Rings <laughs> as well. It, but it, it, and he said, maybe some people to ask people whether they believe in Gandalf or think Gandalf is real doesn't really make much sense. But to focus mm. on the role that Gandalf might play in their lives and how that character is utilized in moral decision making and, and so on could be much more valuable. And when I was reading, I was just like, that's me and Picard. Yeah. And I just had this sort of light bulb moment of who am I going to be trying to emulate? I don't think I successfully do it, but if I was to think about who would be the person I would want to be the sort of, yes, logical and rational to a point, but everything being profoundly ethical and done for the right reasons and the greater good, but always being justified through mm. words and using words before falling to baser forms of conflict and trying to settle everything and compromise and... Mm -hmm. Uh, be upstanding but and and probably yeah bound because his character flaws are you know perhaps being too tightly bound by rules and, and and regulations and and trying to do the right thing that he doesn't take enough time for himself and he mm. doesn't allow himself to have fun and to explore romantic relationships and all these things and i find myself probably doing that kind of thing is like <laughs> I'm, I'm bound by well i should do this because i should and well as long as everyone else is having a good time and i i'm making sure that's happening so i find myself yeah the, the good and the bad yeah what um, is it careful careful what you wish for you might just get it <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah it's, it's interesting so after we'd had this initial conversation uh, and you brought this up I, th I thought about it and then for for me I was I was never a huge Star Trek fan. My thing was Battlestar Galactica. And for me, Admiral Adama from the 2004 series, he embodies someone that that I uh, would like to try would like to emulate and just and and it's it's this this is this is not unusual, I guess, uh, yeah. is, is what I want to want to say. I was Isabella Tara Burton recently published um, her, this book called Strange Rights, where she mm -hmm. you know dedicates a lot of a lot of pages to exploring the different kinds of modern fandoms and the ways in which they play spiritual or, or pseudo religious roles in people's lives. And she talks about her own experience with the 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 show Sleep No More, where you go and you you experience in this warehouse building in New York, all Macbeth in this in this amazing uh, rendition, and and the kind of culture uh, subculture that grew up around that, where people would go like hundreds of times to the show, they they would dress up as characters and play different roles, and she looks at Lord of the Rings and 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 Harry Potter and uh, Star Wars, for example, and Jedi. Is 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 actually uh, what is it? It, it, it? It's on on the census uh, in the UK mm -hmm. as an actual religion. Oh yeah, it's 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 never been uh, it's never been listed as an option, but enough people wrote it as a as their other category. Right. Then when then when they present the the data, if if enough people write something over a certain threshold, then it has to be actually listed. It has to be listed rather yeah. than just. And, um, and 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 some people some people listed it. I, I heard like as as a joke. It was a it was a thing that that happened. But but other people they look at 
Jediism, and they they find in it a kind of a synthesis of what many of the spiritual traditions uh, talk about in terms of like let's say chi energy and and spirit and and all these things and this good and evil narrative, all these mythical symbols, and Obi Wan Kenobi and Yoda, like the, their words and their what they stand for. Everybody knows these characters, and many many times, like you say, we think about them in terms of moral decision making in our own lives. Yeah, and a few things to to just throw in here. I mean, just on those sort of, yeah, yes, there are plenty of Jedi's that are Jedi's in terms of this will be hilarious to write in in a census, but there are uh, a scholar, Marcus Davidson, and another Beth Singler have looked at Star Wars based religions, Lord of the Rings based religions in their research, where they are ostensibly. Um, constructed, imagined, or invented religious traditions and people are engaging in them in in a quite a self-conscious way in the sense of realizing that they are the creation of a human author or whatever, but engaging it and seeing that as not being detrimental to its its truth content. Mm-hmm. Another scholar, Carol Cusack, has an excellent book called Invented Religions, which deals with this, you know, this whole phenomenon. But then we don't want to go too far down that path as well, because, you know, as from our narratives as well, I think what we're saying is there are certainly people who might go down the, the whole hog route of getting into a fandom in, in a way in which they themselves relate to it as a religion. Like someone might sincerely say, Jedi, Jediism is my religion. Mm-hmm. Then perhaps there's other gradations where people might say, well, I don't have a religion, but I'm I'm really into Jediism, and and I go to conventions, and and I, I like that mythology, and it works for me. And then there could be, and then there'll be a whole host more have had mythology, a modern mythology in the form of TV shows and films and books and games and all sorts of things. I will have that as part of their life, and it might have been part of their life for as long as they consciously remember. Yeah, maybe you don't ever say this is religious for me and it would be quite disingenuous to say that it was their religion or something but the power that that has and the fact that it i I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to say that star trek the next generation forms and has formed me as a human being and a major part of my moral and ethical decision making in a way that I've only really recently become conscious of and I'm not going to sit here and say oh, I'm a I'm a Trekkie by religion or that, that I believe in Star Trek but well, maybe, maybe I am a, well aware yeah well maybe it, it might be more useful to talk about it in terms of mythology right yeah that in, in olden times, you would grow up listening to, to myths and folktales and, and lore of your culture. And today, we don't really have that. We have these shows, we have these books, and, and we grow up listening and watching or even playing through in video games through these, these characters and these, these roles. And it, it is a kind of modern day mythology that we're talking about. And, and myth is not something you know, you necessarily have to take as literal reality, but it is, it is, it is real in the sense that these are the things that our society values. These are the kinds of heroes that our society values. And we can learn from them. We can, we can bring them up. The stories and narratives can be reenacted in different ways in our own lives. And, and particularly in our own minds in 
you, you mentioned the term in the imaginary and that, that I feel like in specifically non-religious discourse and non-religious circles, there's so much emphasis on the rational. And I feel like there's n- not nearly enough emphasis on the imaginary. Yeah. And interestingly, like we can bring in the term myth and discuss that if we want. It's got the problematic connotations now of not being true in, in a sense, but myth making is what, what human beings do. For non-religious folk, the, the sort of founding narrative, founding myth of, of in, in sort of, it'll be the conflict between Galileo and the church. Mm. That's like for many sort of theists activists or rationalists in some way you know, that that story will be quite foundational to their idea of there being say a science religion conflict and i'm not an expert on this but i know plenty who are when you drill down into that the the actual reality of that conflict is far from the way it is mythologized by many atheists etc but it serves a function a a sort of binding function for the community and a sort of an explanation for the currently perceived problematic relationship between religion and science and so on Mm -hmm. my point in bringing that up is that there are many there are myths that are not that are not true but that serve a similar function even for people who would claim to be not engaging in such activities but let's get away from that that was sounding negative which is not what we're (laughs) meaning to do but yeah this way that we see things playing out in contemporary culture can hopefully make us a little less reductionistic when we talk about the past We, we realize that we've all got our own idiosyncratic imaginaries are the imaginary world that we bring with us as we navigate the social world and people in the past will have had this too and all have been just as idiosyncratic in a sense but the 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 sources of authority and and power will have been much more centralized and people won't have had access to to this sort of huge wealth of storytelling that that we have now people still mythologized and told stories in their local communities there was an official dominant narrative of whatever if there was an institutional religion, that would have been the official dominant mythology. But then mm-hmm. on a local, individual, familial, village, region basis, uh, there will have been all sorts of interlocking mythologies at the same time that will have been sort of jumbled up and mixed in and sitting in tension and, and not necessarily rationally defensible and that you can, you'll have... You might have your, your leprechauns and ghosts and witches and then your your virgin birth and crucifixion and, and, and all right. that stuff. Right, the coexistence each other. Of, <laughs> um, different different worldviews and metaphysical systems that you, if you look closely, they don't make sense, but you just don't look closely at it. <laughs> but it's, it's what we do. And to try and make sense of it would be to miss the, miss the power and, and miss what's going on. And the fact that now... I suppose people have a bit more agency in moving between imaginaries, not perhaps being so bound to to what was given. But we can, we can look to those things, and we can look to to fandoms, and we can look to to stories that are meaningful to people, stories that come up at whether it's at significant moments, things that people have drawn on at moments of crisis or major life events and so on but even it's it's the things that 
it's the, it's the things that inhabit the mundane as well that, that doesn't necessarily have to come consciously to the fore. And that's a problem with our research methods a lot of the times when you're trying to ask people what is a significant story for you? If you approach people in that way, does anything come to mind when you're confronted with a crisis? You know, the, these are not natural questions to, to be asked. And if you have to think on the spot, most people will be like, I, I, I don't know, or, or draw on something more stuck, something that they might think they're supposed to say. Right. Like, because um, would you, would you yourself, I mean, ask that question, I don't know, a few years ago, say, oh, I think of Captain Picard. Yeah, I wouldn't have, no. I would now because I've started to think about it, but no, I wouldn't have. It's similar, like, like I, I there's a real move, particularly in the UK, but beyond as well, to, to start speaking about worldview. I mean, this happened back in the 60s as well, and it's making a resurgence. I mean, Anne Taves at the Barbara is quite pioneering in this regard, but they're they're sort of reforming their religious education curriculum. And there we go, religious education curriculum. You don't have that in the <laughs> States, right? But in, yeah. in schools in the UK, they do religious education, but they're trying to reform it to be religion and worldviews, uh, or maybe just worldviews. Mm-hmm. But the idea that religion doesn't encompass enough of what we needed to, so let's speak about worldviews so that we're being inclusive. And But if I, again, if someone came to me and said, what's your worldview? I wouldn't be able to, I, do I have a worldview? What is my worldview? Do I have multiple worldviews? Who are you to tell me what my worldview is? Whatever I would say to you now won't be represented. So these are not natural questions to answer. And the way we can get to answers is by, is by trying. The only perfect way to do it would be to, to gain sort of unfettered 24-7 access to, to someone's mind, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't do that. So then you try and do it through observation, and but you can't observe an individual 24-7. And even if you were, how would my behavior demonstrate that Captain Picard was an important moral and ethical figure? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. well, well I guess like for, for, for listeners, I, I think one, one takeaway here is that if, if, you love, if you love Star Trek or Star Wars or some, some fantasy character, uh, I don't know, a James Bond, what, whatever, like I think if, if you found value there, if, if that, that character and person activates you, then, then it's okay to own it. Like there's no shame in that. I think that that engagement is is what is so important. And and if you dig this, Casper Terkyle has Harry Potter as a sacred text, like a whole podcast dedicated yeah. to like really finding treating seriously these books and like what wisdom can we find there? You, yeah, yeah, because that, yeah. So even that anxiety I was just talking about there, about how do we find this out? But yeah, no, just ask people directly. That's, I, I go through these crises in research all the time. Go, I really want to get to the authentic representation, so I can't ask people directly about this sort of stuff, and then how will I get it? And then I can always come back and say, sorry, just ask them directly. If you ask people who is significant for you, are you do you dig? Who do you dig? And yeah. let's talk about that. But through those conversations about, well, why are they significant? Why are they important? Why would you aspire to be them? You're probably going to get, as a, as a researcher, I would get much more of an authentic idea about the, the things that they value and the world that they are constructing and the world that they are moving in and how they're navigating the world. And for the individual on the other side of that conversation, or if people are talking 
two weeks around there, you're going to get a more a clearer, more systematized version of things that are implicit. If you are out there thinking, I, I don't really know what I believe in or, or what I value, I'm feeling a bit adrift. I know I'm I'm not into like this religion stuff or whatever, but I, I don't, what am I for? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, have a think about what are the things that you give your time and attention to, what are the things that you value and and why what is it about that character or that that world yeah because it it could just it could be the whole world of of middle earth or something that that was something of value for me the the, the miyazaki films like are are full of characters that i look to for all sorts of examples of heroism and and morality and inspiration and uh, yeah it's it's yeah what excites you yeah what 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 activates you and and then I, I, maybe another key part like after you identify that you realize and accept okay well this is something that i that i really love and that has had an impact on me how how are some ways that somebody might then make that a more conscious part of their imaginary of their of their lives and how how might they integrate that hmm. i mean here here we're just going to start talking as individuals because I don't have any sort of amazing uh, like research in science or something, but we were talking about rituals and so on. But I think once you identify or start to identify things that are important and of value and that, that seem to be a, a focus or nodal point for you or whatever, it's then thinking, how do I integrate that more fully it seems to be all value doing me good so even to to the point of i used to do that watching on a wednesday night build in that what we're human beings are ritual animals in in a sense as well we thrive on repetition and knowing uh, what's coming and so on so embrace that it's not it's not just you watching that same dvd for the 20th time why are you so boring why are you doing that is a valuable part of your identity and your your framework so so roll with it and then those moments when you when a friend's around and you say oh have you seen this and they say no and you're like ah oh, come on let's watch <laughs> those become like um they become both missionary activities i suppose if you want that they become much more important but but they also become to, to use uh, religion inflated terminology it, like insights into your soul into yeah like yeah. you want to get you want to get me you want to understand where i'm coming from here engage with this and i'll and i'll hold your hand through the process or whatever you know it becomes yeah these are not just meaningless and uh, meaningless repetitions and so on yeah, no, the, the repetition is, is so important, and, and religions understand this. this is why they, they drill into people's minds the, through, you know, twice a day, three times a day prayer, five times a day prayer. You go to Sunday service, you, you read the Gospels, like, again and again and again, so that these stories and these narratives uh, become automatic. That's what you're yeah. they're become part of your subconscious, and then without even realizing, they're coming and becoming conscious with automatically. And this is why we're potentially, on a personal level, I would see secularization, whatever that is. But if we're we're thinking about the the sort of 
uh, waning dominance of certain institutions and the, the, the waning assumption that everyone in a certain area will be an adherent or whatever. I would see that as a as a good thing. But, and with that individualism, rationalism and so on, I would see as good things in, in many ways. But then you what you don't have there is you don't you lose that that repetition and that reinforcement and things are then happening on a sort of more ad hoc basis and yeah. um, now it, wouldn't it be great if uh, someone could come up with a perfect um, secular synthesis of everything that you and I value <laughs> and then find a way to be like no we're, we're right so let's start doing this on on repeat drill this in good we'll get these values here and so on but then that would only be two guys and their visions and wouldn't wouldn't cover the vast cornucopia of ideas out there and also would go against i think many of the things that we would value it should be the idea that it should be a sort of self-discovery and any sort of prescription is is not a good thing you want it to yeah. be things that people eat so it's well i, I there, think there I are think positives yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, right you're pointing out these 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 issues and and i i think may, maybe to take taking the issue and, and making it into a, a, well, a potential way forward is like well the the onus is now on on you on the individual it, it is and, and that can be an incredibly good thing because you you can create you can synthesize in your own imaginary in your own mind the 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 key people and the key influences inspirations uh, on your life you can create whatever practice makes sense to you and whatever inspires you whether that's like going going on a walk every evening and and talking to this this imaginary council of of your uh, inspirations whether it's kind of i don't know like meditating uh, side by side with captain picard or or, or whatnot it's uh, you we, we have on the one hand no no force like obligating us to do these kinds of things anymore but we have now the liberty to 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 do any of them and and make them our own and and that's incredibly inspiring exactly and and to not devalue those sorts of things when we encountered them for being irrational or or for being just idiosyncratic like like we can take the sort of secular value of everything we've been talking about here and, and see the, the the real potential for, for flourishing and, and, and so on. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time. And yeah, it's, 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 it's fun and it's exciting to, to talk about these things. It's, and, it, and it's, I think for, for many people, maybe it's, maybe they're a little bit embarrassed about this, about w- what their real influences and, and inspirations are, but I don't think they should be. I think this is a, this is an exciting thing and, and, and embrace whatever it is that you love, embrace whatever fires you up and inspires you because that, that's going to help animate you and hopefully help change you and, and help change the world in the ways that we want to see. Absolutely. I would heartily concur. It's been a pleasure. I'll now go back to my roasting hot. I, I mean, it, it's it's like 30 degrees in Scotland. Uh, I know for you, I'm sure that it isn't hot. Thank you for listening to Reenchantment. For the next episode, 
I'm going to do something a little bit new. I've decided to take my public speaking game up a couple notches and to make sure that I've got my practice in. I'm recording the next episode of Reenchantment as a live talk online. If you want to be there for the talk, please join me on Sunday uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern on a Zoom link to hear me record the episode in one single take. And then stick around afterwards for a fun and lively discussion. The subject of next week's episode is going to be how to do impossible things. You can find the Zoom link in this episode's description, or you can go to the Reenchantment Facebook page and find it there. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you next time on Reenchantment. Enchantment.